The Gospel of John, chapter 13. As I've noted before for you, the Gospel of John was written about 50 years after the events in the 80s A.D. John has been ministering in the Mediterranean Roman world all those decades, and he has put together, by the Holy Spirit's guidance, he has put together a format for presenting the gospel. What is the core of the gospel? What is the core of the gospel? And he is incessant over and over. I should say he's incessant about saying what Jesus said over and over and over again. I am from heaven. I am from the Father. I am the Son of God. This is who I am. This is who I am. I'm the Messiah. Jesus was not afraid to declare who he was, and then he presented evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence. And that is what we find in the Gospel of John, chapters 1 through 12. Who is Jesus, and what are the proofs of who he is? It starts out, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. What other book starts with the words, in the beginning? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and God said, and God said, and God said, as Jesus is restoring, actually a destroyed earth, because Lucifer has been cast down, he's restoring the earth, and God said, and God said, and God said, and what does it say in John 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, the speaker. God said, God said, God said, God said, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the speaker, the Word, and the Word was in a face-to-face relationship with God, and God was the Word. That's the actual order in the Greek text of John 1.1. And God was the Word, as emphatically stated as it could be stated. You can worship Jesus, and it is not blasphemy. You are doing what is only reasonable and right. He is God. And the Word became flesh and tented, tabernacled, dwelt among us. It's really the word skene, meaning tent. Just like the, in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was the presence of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. We be in the... And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, provision, and truth. We saw a God demonstrated by Jesus that was exactly what is portrayed in gifting, 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 mercy, 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 mercy. Uh, Hosea 6, 6, I love mercy more than sacrifice. I love mercy more... The sacrifice. Thus says the Lord, I love mercy more than this. This is the God of mercy come in the flesh and he forgives. He forgives the Samaritan woman at the well who's been raped five times and now is living with a man who's not her husband. He, and there's a massive turning to Jesus by the Samaritans of Sychar. We see the least likely people from the Jewish upper echelon viewpoint, the least likely people coming to him while they're resisting. And last week we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem 
and there are people there testifying along the parade route. I was there. I saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. That's the seventh of the seven signs in John's gospel. I saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. And they're along the parade route as Jesus is going into Jerusalem. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And the Jewish leadership is throwing a fit. They're throwing a fit. They've already hit, put Jesus on the hit list. They've also, it's John 12, they even put Lazarus on the hit list. We've got to get rid of Lazarus. We have to murder Lazarus. The Jewish religious leadership, we have to murder Lazarus because he's too big a proof for Jesus. And then chapters 13 through 17, which we're beginning today, is actually the discipleship portion. The Gospel of John, chapters 1 through 12, this is the message to the unbelievers. Chapters 13 through 17, okay, (laughs) now let me tell you about what the basic format of walking with Jesus in this hostile world will look like. John 13, 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed his feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. John, excuse me, Simon Peter, therefore motioned to him, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should be, he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out And it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow 
till you have denied me three times. Jesus washes feet. Now, in our westernized culture and all with our within the last century or century and a half of uh, public uh, cleansing of our cult, you know, our towns don't operate the way the towns in most of the world still today. Uh, they didn't have sewage systems. When the disciples came to the upper room, they're walking through filthy streets. People dumped their chamber pots out in the streets, in the towns. And so first order of business, and this was true when I went to Nepal, uh, that was 20, 10 years ago, and 22, 23 years ago, I went to Russia, and all of these places, when you came in the door, you took your shoes off. That's SOP in most of the world today, even with the sewage systems that we have. That's still standard operating procedure. And then if you need to, you washed your feet. The disciples came to the upper room for this meal. And they apparently had refused to wash one another's feet. I'm just, uh, I'm just too important to do this for you. And here they are reclining on divans around a low table, having the Last Supper. And their stinky feet <laughs> are sticking out there for everybody to see and smell. And Jesus does for them what they had refused to do. And they are shocked into silence until Jesus gets about halfway around the table. And I say that because later on, Peter's going to be waving his hands at John to find out who it is, find out who it is. He gets about halfway around the table when Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. This is too humiliating. How dare you do this to yourself? I'm not going to let you do this to yourself. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And of course, I just read the narrative. You know what it says. Oh, well, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And that's why I did the face palm thing. No, Peter. He was bathed. Needs only to wash his feet. You bathed before you came here through the streets. I don't need to give you a bath. I just... I'm going to do what you would refuse to do for one another. Which is considered the most demeaning thing any person can do in that culture. Is washing, if you had an estate with, you, with servants or slaves, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants or slaves were the ones assigned to the task of foot washing. Because it was considered to be the most humiliating task any person could do for anybody else was so awful and yet here is God the Son become flesh the most important person in the universe inside or outside the universe. by the way the Bible does say in Isaiah God holds the entire universe in the span of his hand <laughs> he's both inside and outside 
the creation. And yet, what did he do? He washed their feet. We are to be servants of one another, even when it is in total violation of what is our pride. We're to set aside our pride. Here is the one worthy of worship of every member of the human race, every angel. He is worthy of their worship, and he sets aside the glory rightfully due to him and washes feet. And then he makes an application. Now, what does John say in John 13, verse 3? Jesus, and John is emphasizing this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. What does Jesus know about himself? I'm about to step into the fullness of my inheritance. In John 3.16, Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the heir of all things. The heir of all things. In Matthew 28, and I keep repeating this because I need to hear it. Matthew 28, Jesus says to the apostles, following his resurrection, just before his ascension, he says to them, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have come into the fullness of the estate from my father. This is who I am. All things belong to me. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, they're about, it's, the, everything's about to come to him. And that he had come from God and was going to God. He knows who he is, and he lays aside that to serve them in this most repugnant of ways. And he says to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. When Peter says no, you're not going to do that. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Many of you can quote this verse. I hope you can. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we say the same, that word means say the same thing about it that God says about it. (laughs) If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What gives the holy God that freedom? The fact that Jesus of Nazareth, his son, come in the flesh, had paid sin's penalty for us, so that gives him perfect freedom. He is faithful, means he'll forgive us every time, and he is just when he does it. He's not forfeiting his holiness. His holiness was satisfied by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The demands of the law have been met by Jesus, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter, I am, in fact, perpetually going to be washing your feet. You've been bathed. You have received the benefit of redemption. You've received the benefit. You have been justified. You do have a stand before God, but you're going to have that daily need of foot washing. And I'm the one who does it. That ought, by the way, to be uh, an impediment to our being sinners and embrace. Oh, 
do I really want to force Jesus to wash my feet again? And again? And again? And again? And it, mm, hmm, hmm. Maybe I need to love Jesus such that he won't have to wash my feet as incessantly as if I go my own way. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Oh, Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Well, of course, they know what he's done in the immediate sense, but they don't know the spiritual application sense. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And they do not like these words. They do not like these words, but he's saying it to them. He's just demonstrated it by doing it himself. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. You can't refuse to do this and call me your master. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent. By the way, apostle means sent one. Nor he who is sent greater than he who sends him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Ooh, Jesus, you just went from preaching to meddling. You mean it's not just enough for me to know the word? I got to do it? <clears throat> yeah, that's the point of knowing it, is doing it. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing doesn't come from the knowing. The blessing comes from the doing. And then he goes into the details about who his betrayer is. By the way, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, chosen by Jesus, never an authentic believer. Although it's interesting when Jesus sent the apostles out two by two, they came back just so elated. They saw people cleansed of demonic powers. They saw people raised from the dead. They saw people cleansed. All these things. Later in this upper room discourse, Jesus is going to say to them, the Holy Spirit who has been with you will be in you. So even Judas Iscariot apparently did miraculous things by the power of the, the accompanying Holy Spirit, when Jesus says to them, one of you will betray me, they've been together for at least three years. Nobody pointed at Judas and said, well, it's got to be that guy. In fact, Judas had the money bag. <laughs> he was the treasurer for the 12. Wouldn't that be the most trusted guy? The one that you give the care of the finances to? 
Yeah. And what does Jesus say? One of you will betray me. Peter's motioning across the table. John, 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 find out who it is, find out who it is. And John lies back, and that's why we know John is reclining on the divan in front of Jesus, leans back, puts his head on Jesus' chest. Who is it, Lord? It is the one to whom I will give the sop when I've dipped it. And he dips this chunk of bread in the sauce of some sort, hands it to Judas Iscariot, who apparently is in the, the guest of honor, reclining on the left of the host, Jesus. He takes the bread, eats it. He's already begun his betrayal. He has already met with the Jewish leadership to set in motion the betrayal of Jesus. And so he eats the sop. Immediately Satan enters him. And of course, as I read the narrative, Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. And he gets up and leaves and the apostles are, okay, why didn't John tackle him? Well, number one, Judas had a job to do that fit in with God's plan in his plan of betrayal. But also, I think just from his own, what's going on in John's mind, I think, no, I must have misunderstood. It couldn't be him. He's the most trusted guy. I must have misunderstood that somehow because he let Judas walk out. He let Judas walk out. By the way, John's gospel, John never calls himself by name. He is always the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Put his head back on. He never identifies himself by name. And Judas walks out and to move forward with his already set in motion plan of betrayal. So Jesus identifies his, who his betrayer would be. And then Jesus says something in an immediate sense this sort of startling. So when he had gone out, he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. What is the expectation and purpose of Judas Iscariot? To betray Jesus do anything but bring glory to Jesus. And yet Judas is in fact an instrument of God in betraying Jesus. He's actually advancing God's plan. God always uses the motion the, of the enemy to play into his hands. That's a basic Football analogy, what's, what's the trap play in football? That's where <clears throat> the quarterback receives the ball from the, what do you call that guy? <laughs> the center. And one of the offensive linemen jumps out of his spot, out of the way, and this defensive lineman suddenly has an open spot in the offensive line where he can charge through and cause, cause all kind of mayhem, and he can't restrain himself. And he charges through, and the fullback 
pushes him aside, and the halfback carrying the ball runs through that hole in the defensive line that was just created. That's where you use the emotional power of the enemy, of your opponent, to carry out your own plan. And that's what Satan does. Satan has always fallen for that <laughs> trap play <laughs> from God. And so the Jewish leadership, together with Judas Iscariot, we're going to get this guy crucified. We're going to get him out of the way, out of the way, out of the way. And what happens? The whole thing blows up in, his fa- in their face. Instead, Jesus pays sins penalty for the entire human race while on the cross Then he comes, he's placed in a, we read Isaiah 52 and 3. He died with the wicked, but he was placed in a rich man's tomb. That's 700 years before Jesus' birth. He's crucified between two men who agreed they deserved to be crucified, but then he's placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. And then on the third day, he rises from the dead and steps into his kingdom glory and power. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It blew up in the enemy's face. Now, Satan can't redo what he blew. But Jesus says this, and it's fairly initially immediately startling. So when he had gone out, he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. The plan has been set in motion that's going to result in my glory. Yes, I will be crucified. Yes, I will be given an an illegal trial, both from the Jews and from the Romans. All of this will be and it'll look bad, 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 so bad that all of these men will be just totally devastated until Jesus appears to them. But what does Jesus say? Now the Son of Man, their favorite term for Messiah, is glorified. That's going to be the outcome. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Jesus is stating, I'm going to, within a couple of days, within three days, be glorified. He's looking through the process to the outcome. What should we do? Have you ever been tested? Have things ever happened to you that you would not choose to happen to you? Have you ever been tried? God uses our trials to lead us to blessing that otherwise we could never receive. On the other side of the test is the blessing. By the way, you have to go through the test to have the strength of character to endure the blessing. You ever seen somebody that got so blessed it destroyed them? Yes, we all have. It wasn't a blessing. You have to, he has to develop within us the strength of character to walk in the blessing without it destroying us because our authentic, true, ultimate pleasure is in him and never in the stuff, never in the circumstances. It's in him, the ever true, 
everlasting, never-changing one. But Jesus says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And I can, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not new. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. That's in the Old Testament. That's in the Old Testament. Oh, wait, wait, wait. As I have loved you. Oh, yikes. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. He just raised the bar (laughs) for everyone. As I have loved you, you are to be foot washers. It'll be servants of one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because you will be walking in imitation of me. Folks, that's a tough job description. That's a tough job description. But he gives us the strength As he's going to say later in this upper room discourse, the Holy Spirit who has been with you will be in you to supply to you the spiritual energy to do what you otherwise couldn't do. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Oh! That thing I just saw Harold do. That was just like Jesus. Yeah. Because he was walking in Jesus' energy, not Harold energy. But that's the promise and commitment God makes to every one of us. By this all will know that you are my disciples. You will walk in replication of me. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. What how did Peter end his earthly walk? by being crucified. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Lord, why cannot I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Well, he did, ultimately, but within the next hour or two, he will deny Christ Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? No. Walking in the power of Peter isn't going to enable Peter to succeed. It's walking in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that will enable you to succeed. But Peter won't know how to do that, and he won't be indwelt by the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me 
three times. Don't try to do God's will in the power of your fallen sinful nature. It won't work. You'll either end up walking in ridiculous pride or you'll walk in absolute broken so bad that you will not believe that God even can forgive you. And yet, the last chapter of John's Gospel, by the way, is when God, when Jesus will come to Peter and say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And will completely restore Peter. So restoration is always possible. But we are to love one another as Jesus loves. Let's pray together. Our Lord, left to ourselves, there's nobody who can walk in what you've done, what you've commanded us to in this passage. But you don't leave us to ourselves. You are beside us every step of the way. God the Holy Spirit indwells us to supply us with that divine energy and direction. We ask that you would enable us to be authentic replicas of you. As impossible as that sounds, that's actually what you hold out before us. What you're enjoining us to do. But you don't leave us alone to do that. You will grant us your own presence and the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. We are asking that you will enable us in the week to come to walk in your strength. And unlike Peter, who denied you, that we will in fact take a stand for you, washing the feet of the people who still need to know you. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.